You're listening to JSCN, radio for the Jewish small communities. Sometimes there is a shared memory, but one that you feel inside you, as if it is in your veins. And then somebody comes along and says, I don't understand, but I want to understand it for myself. I want to go and experience that struggle to understand it better. And so you'd probably say, hey, knock yourself out. But on this occasion, a little bell rang in my head saying, I'd really like to know how it looks through your eyes. And that's how it was when a group of local councillors from Bury in North Manchester got together because they felt it important to understand the lessons of the Holocaust and how it could relate to things today, like social exclusion. So I joined that group of councillors and civic and community leaders on a three-day tour discovering the history of Poland and the legacy of the Holocaust there. It was a very mixed group of different faiths, different backgrounds, having different responsibilities in the community, and most people were not Jewish. Our guide was Jeremy Kurnitz, the son of a Holocaust survivor and himself an experienced educator. We travelled early one morning first to Warsaw and then on to Treblinka, Majdanek, Tarnow, the Children's Forest, Krakow and finally Auschwitz. There was barely a moment to eat, and it seems the only time we stopped was at night to sleep. Well, that's how it felt. But that was nothing compared to the lives of those who had been liquidated, as was about to become all too clear. This can be uncomfortable listening at times. It's a challenging subject, but also there was rarely an opportunity to get away from the background noise or the sounds of the wind, and sometimes people just struggled to find the words to say. I'm Ed Horwich. This is Jewish Talk, and this is the story of a journey to Poland and its impact on those who I journeyed with. I've been very council over 40 years and I was the interim chief exec of very council when I talked to Sue and Rabbi Gunn and thought to, to organise a journey with community leaders of mixed religions to get an understanding of the Holocaust and how the learning from the Holocaust can influence social inclusion in communities with the behaviour and leadership of community leaders. That differences matter. And the richness of differences makes society what we are today. Before we set off, what's your feelings? The apprehension, um, some of the fears, but some of the willingness to embrace a journey that will enlighten people's views of some of the hum- inhumane things that have happened to people, by people. And if it's not challenged, it could happen again. My name is Jane Black. And this year I've got the honour of being the Mayor of Bury. And we've just had the pre-meeting before we go on this, what could be <laughs> momentous for some people, but definitely a, quite a difficult trip for many to go to Poland, a, a study tour of its history and the, and the legacy of the Holocaust. We've heard a lot of stories from people around the room about who they are and why they're personally going How do you feel now, just as we're about to start off on this journey? We've been planning this for several months and um, 
we spent quite a long time listening to each other and to and there are really are very very different perspectives people who have the one or two people who have visited before other people who've always said that they felt a little scared about the whole idea people are very full of trepidation uh, others said they were looking forward to it um, and I thought it was very very interesting that we were the respect and the the willingness to understand that we've got people there from this wide group and that we'll be sharing this experience together. Why do you think that so many different people have come? I mean, we've got people from lots of different faiths, lots of different uh, backgrounds and responsibilities. A trip instigated by Berry Council in the first place, but we've brought in a lot more different people, haven't we? Yes, and I think what's, what's quite important to say, it feels very, very important that we continue to keep the lessons of the Holocaust alive. Um, people said this evening in the meeting, we live in challenging times. We can interpret that very, very differently. There are many, many examples we, we could all speak about that make us worried about the direction that some parts of this world are going. And the phrase man's inhumanity to man was mentioned this evening we had hoped that the Holocaust would remain a historical event. I think some people are now worried and it does feel quite important that we build the capacity of people who can take a strong stand against not just crimes against Jewish people but crimes against other people and, and crimes against humanity. Eventually separated from their parents, both killed in different ways, they're deported into Germany as the Germans retreat and are sent eventually to the camp of Buchenwald. And it's there in Buchenwald that they're liberated by the American army. And the story is told as follows. As the division of the American army that liberates Buchenwald enters the gates, the head of the division was a the chaplain, an American rabbi. His name was Rabbi Herschel Shechter. He's a famous rabbi in the U.S. And as they enter Buchenwald, in front of Rabbi Shechter is a mountain, a mountain of bodies. And Rabbi Shechter is in complete shock. Sees a movement behind that mountain. Walks around and sees a little boy approaches this little boy and takes the little boy in his arms. Rabbi Shechter is so, so emotional. He's sort of crying and smiling the little boy. says, tell me little boy, what's your name? He says, my name is Lolik. And tell me Lolik, where are you from? He says, I'm from the town of Pietrico. And tell me little boy, 
How old are you? And Lily looks into the rabbi's eye and says, I'm older than you. And the rabbi laughs and smiles and cries and says, older than me? He says, yes. Because you are laughing like a little child. I've never laughed in that way. And you're crying like a little baby. I never had that privilege either. That was the famous meetings recorded by Martin Gilbert of Rabbi Shechter with the little boy Lolik. That little boy Lolik was saved by his brother Tolik a number of times during the war in the most amazing way. After the war, they moved to Israel. And that boy, Lolik, becomes a very famous personality, Chief Rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Israel Meir Lau, Rabbi Lau. What difficult times are, I had no idea. The history, the real history, out of Vegardia, but being here and listening, and seeing its emotions are sort of running wild at the moment and I feel real sad. We've just come out of Warsaw and we're now stopped at Treblinka. How are you coping with it all? I'm finding that it's it's very brought to life. I knew a lot of the history before I came. But um, it's almost like we're walking in the footsteps of the people that we're hearing about. Real stories, real people. And we are being given another story as well, the other story about the struggle to survive and those who fought back. And I think that's, that's quite hopeful, actually. Yes, we've heard a couple of stories of fighting yeah. back, the, mm. the uprising mm. in the ghetto in Warsaw. Mm. What I'm discovering is about the resilience of the human spirit, which sometimes gets lost. We're now standing at the entrance to a most horrific place called Treblinka. You can see that we're in a forest, very beautiful. <laughs> Come here on a, a beautiful summer day, the sun shining, beautiful trees, it's green. This was a place about 80 kilometers from Warsaw on a major um, railway line, hidden away in a corner, camouflaged, surrounded by barbed wire fence, out of the eyes. Perhaps Treblinka could have been hidden from the eyes of the locals, but the smell of Treblinka couldn't have been. The ashes of Treblinka for sure not, or the sounds of Treblinka. The Germans come up with a program. It's called Operation Reinhard. And the program is to destroy two and a half million Jews living in the general government, that central part of Poland. They establish three centers. I purposely don't refer to them as camps. Don't make that mistake. Three centers. Treblinka, Sobibor, and Berzets. Three death centers. 
The head of this project was a man called General Odilog Lobochnik. His headquarters was in Lublin, where we're staying tonight. And the idea was to create a new concept. This was a death factory. Perhaps for the first time in the history of mankind, here was created not a factory of creation, but a factory of destruction. A death factory. This wasn't a camp. People did not live in here. People came, and within a few hours, they were dead. Efficiency. At a certain stage, the Germans didn't deport the very, very old or the little children because they stopped the flow, the movement, the factory line. They were killed in their own towns. Everything had to be efficient. Everything had to work like clockwork. That is the essence of Treblinka. And so when I stand here at the entrance to Treblinka, so, so, so much evil takes place in this very, very small little corner of Poland. On a personal note, this is always a pilgrimage for me. This is the place where all my family were killed. My father was separated from the rest of his family, and all of them, my grandfather, grandmother, two uncles and an aunt. One of my uncles was my father's brother. He was a baby of a year and a half. They were all brought here to this place, to Treblinka, where they were murdered by the Germans. Nine hundred thousand Jews were killed here in this place. Look around for a moment. Thousands of stones. Each one of these stones represents a community destroyed here in Treblinka. Some of those stones have names. It almost looks like a cemetery, no? A cemetery of cemeteries. Gassing protest took 35 minutes. After those, the end of those 35 minutes, the doors were opened and the Zonda commando took out those bodies. In that direction, close to the trees, were huge pits, massive pits. The bodies were searched for valuables. Gold teeth were taken out, and the bodies were thrown into these pits. And from July 1942 to August 1943, close to 900,000 Jews were murdered in this way. Regarding the question of the optimum amount of people gassed in one day, I can state, according to my estimation, in a transport 
with 30 freight cars. 3,000 people were liquidated in three hours. When the work lasted for 14 hours, 12,000 people to 15,000 people were annihilated. There were many days when the work lasted from early morning until late evening. I have done nothing to anybody that was not my duty. My conscience is clear. Franz Stangl, Commandant, Treblinka. March 1943, Hitler makes a massive mistake. Himmler understands that they've lost the war and says it's time to start hiding the evidence. He sets up a group headed by a Nazi called Paul Blobel. And they go from camp to camp, from death center to death center, and they dig up the huge pits of Jews, and they bring them, this is a monument, to the pit that was prepared with metal railway tracks at the bottom. They created almost a barbecue to burn the bodies. The bodies were burnt thousands at a time. Machines were brought in to crush the bones. And in this way, the evidence was hidden. August the 8th, 1943, the burning was almost complete. The Jews that remained, some 750 Jews of Zonderkommando, who remained in Treblinka understood the time was running out from them, that once the burning had been finished, they'd be shot and had burnt and it'd all be over. And they decide to try and escape, to revolt. They managed to get a key to the armory. And at the, the correct moment, the signal was given. They come into the armory and they take a lot of rifles. Unfortunately, Karl Kuttner, one of the Nazis, sees them, opens fire. And the Nazis open fire on all these Jews. 750 Jews decide, or the word was given, no choice. They run for the gates, they run for the fences. 90% were killed. Some 70 escaped. Most of those were rounded up and killed. About seven or eight Jews survive this story of Treblinka. Treblinka was a very small little place which does 400 by 600 meters. Just a small corner of this part of the world, but a very efficient death factory. It's not just 900,000 holy souls that were slaughtered. But can you imagine how many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and generations and generations and millions that were lost? Tied in one of the trees here, five names. 
the names of my grandparents, Yechiel and Shaina Resha Kernads, my uncle Simcha Yair Kernads, aunt, little girl, Esther Frimit Kernads, and a little baby of one and a half, Mendel David Hirsch Kernads. That's that's the story, the 900,000, but the story is that every single one of those was a person, a human being. Well, you can't work in an organisation like the Fed for 30 years and not want to come on a trip like this. I've got my own personal reasons for coming, but obviously I want to take back to the residents as well, you know, be able to... I'm hoping to do a little presentation when I get back. When we were walking towards the monument, which is obviously where they would have come to the end of their lives, that walk was very poignant and trying to imagine you know, what were going through people's minds, it just really, well, they would have really touched me. I've got a lot to reflect on when I get back, because it's been so busy, the trip, that, you know, you don't really, there's a lot to, to process, and I don't feel that I've had the time to sort of evaluate the situation, and the things that we've seen, and things that we've been speaking about. So, uh Doing a presentation for the residents, I think, will help me reflect on on that. I think it's very dangerous when we go down the road of saying there were no choices. Because I think that there, there were choices every single step of the way. And the Einsatzgruppen who went in, they had the choice whether they went in and took people in the forest and shot them or not. They volunteered. They volunteered. So they, they, they made choices. And I think that what, what's troubling me, and I think has done for a very long time, is how do you learn from it? We think that we learn because we have the knowledge to be forearmed, so we won't let it happen again in the future. I'm not sure that that's the case. I mean, in terms of anti-Semitism that we are struggling with a bit at home at the moment, and we sort of say, well, it's not like nothing like it was in jail. Well, it starts really, really small. It doesn't start with Treblinka. It starts tiny. And I just wonder, I'm pretty sure that the German people must have stood up and the Viennese people and tried to stop it and say this is ridiculous and, you know, we're all neighbours. I think that bit, I don't know enough about how did they try to stop it, but I don't know what the answer is. So I don't know how we learn from this. We can all see the journey and how easy it is. It's, it's seamless, that journey, from being slightly anti-Semitic to Treblinka. It's such an easy road. So how do you put those junctions in to divert it? My name is Tom Ross. I am the current mayor of Trafford, which is in Greater Manchester. 
this is a trip I've wanted to do for at least 10 to 15 years now. And what prompted me to, to accept the Mayor of Berry's invitation was the, the growth in anti-Semitism that I could see happening around us. And I've always thought it starts with words, and I wanted to, um, to do something on behalf of Trafford and see what the, um, you know, what the outcome was of those words, which was the horrors of Auschwitz, Treblinka and all the other extermination camps that are in Poland. The visit to Treblinka in the twilight on our first day um, I now see that no amount of reading or watching documentaries about the atrocities that happened within living memory can prepare you for actually visiting the site of such unimaginable horror. And I just remember seeing the, um, the sun go down in what looks on the surface a very peaceful place, a tranquil forest, but seeing and, and hearing the descriptions of the horror that happened there, it, it really did affect me the, the, the most out of everything we've done so far. I think what I'll take back is it's it's always right to speak up and challenge if you see examples of anti-Semitism, whether it be in social media or whether it be in meetings, it is always the right thing to do is to stand up and challenge it and, and this, this trip has absolutely reinforced that and um, as it is just, just seeing the horrors of what can happen when hate speech goes unchecked. It's, 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 it's unimaginable and, and I certainly will be challenging any hate speech that I come across in future a lot more and with a lot more confidence than I have done. It's the end of March, but it's still cold. It's freezing here in Lublin, in Leidenick. We walk down the path towards the camp. We've seen from the road as we approached. The camp is just there, in full sight from the main road. Everybody could see. The wind whips between your legs into your face. We're in our coats. We're warm. And we know the people here were not people here were in pyjamas. They stood in bare feet in the freezing winter cold, in the depths of December, in the ice. They were forced to stand for hours, for days. Their life never exceeded three months. If they survived, it was a miracle, a complete miracle. Those that did not go straight into the gas chambers they could not live for longer than three months here. They had no food, they had no sustenance. They are forced to do mindless, worthless tasks. The commandant was cruel, his wife was cruel. The system was cruel. Jews are brought into this building and the first station is where they're de-robed, groups of 20, 30 at a time. 
stand naked here. The barbers shave their heads. You're standing here without your belongings, without your clothes. Sisters didn't recognize each other. Close friends didn't recognize each other. In some of the gas chambers afterwards, there was another room, which is a shower. Jews were showered, sometimes with freezing cold water, sometimes with scorching hot water. The Nazis thought by showering the Jews with scorching hot water, it increases the circulation of the blood and makes the gassing process quicker. And now we step around inside. See the way these chambers were built. You can see the square hole in the ceiling. Here in Maidanic, Cyclone B were used for the gassing, put in through the central opening in the chamber. So here, this is representative of all those gas chambers. We'll see tomorrow in Auschwitz. There were five huge complexes, but they've all been destroyed. So to just stand for a few moments inside one of these places, perhaps in honor of all those Jews, just listen to those words which for sure were on the lips of so many of those Jews. The words, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, the most famous of all Jewish prayers, just for a few moments. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, b'chol levavcha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol me'odecha. Ve'ayu ha'devarim ha'ele asher anuchi metzavcha hayom al levavcha. ושיננתם לבניך, ודיברת בם, בשבתך, בביתך, ובלכתך ודרך, ובשוכבך ובקומך. וקשרתם לאות על ידיך, והיו לתותפות בין עיניך, וכתבתם על מזוזות ביתך, ובשעריך. What was it that drove you to come on this study tour? I've been to Poland before. I have done Auschwitz and Schindler's Museum and a few other sites. 
this sort of gave us gave me an opportunity to see places that sort of I wouldn't otherwise be able to get to. Somebody once said, they said, history repeats itself, it has to, because nobody listens. I think everyone should see what's, what has happened in history and to ensure it doesn't repeat itself. The far right are on the move, they are, sort of, it is increasing, sort of, and some of that is because uh, people have forgotten how bad things have been in the past. And do you think we learn from history? Certainly I do. You know, sort of, sort of in England, sort of being so far away from this, you don't have the reminder, but when, you, when you're here, you get that reminder. And what do you think you'll be able to take home with you? Well, it's sort of encouraging people to come and see it for themselves. So I've got some friends, we meet up every year, um, we go on <coughs> sort of a weekend together. I've finally persuaded them this year to come uh, to Krakow to see Auschwitz, to see Schindler's Museum. And I think, I think you should only go to Auschwitz twice in your life. One, to see it for yourself, and secondly, then to bring somebody back and show them. And do you think you'll be able to take anything from this trip and use it in the work you do? I'm looking at ways of doing that. I mean, sort of, people are saying, why are you going there for a week? You can sort of share that experience with friends by showing uh, things on Facebook. And my chair twisted my arm to do a talk. So I've got to get my head around that and sort of work out the best way of doing that. But that'll be a challenge. And does this, does this relate to any of the clients of the job you do? It will do. Our main piece of work is the Jubilee Centre, which is a centre for older people. We offer 30 activities a week. It's not your traditional older people's centre, so we've got about 600 people coming through the doors on a weekly basis. We don't know their backgrounds. When we did the Armistice event, we wanted to sort of particularly target veterans and we had to sort of start asking our members who has been veterans and who hasn't been, and quite a few were. Having those conversations when people telling me their experiences was very, very valuable. It got that conversation going. And this will inform that more? Yeah, and if we do a focus on it, we know there's a very diverse range of experiences at the Jubilee Centre. That maybe there's an opportunity that we can get people to start talking about those. What was your reason for coming? I've never wanted to come. It's never been something on my agenda because I didn't feel that I needed to experience the pain. The reason I came was because I helped organise the trip and I didn't feel it was moral not to come myself. And second question, what's been your most profound moment on the trip so far? Oh, I think it's got to be the, um, the children's forest. That was just too painful. Do you think that there's something you're going to take back with you? We say that the Holocaust should never, ever happen again and we must remember. And I don't think we do. And it, that's the, the worry. That is the worry. We're on the road to the Kevin Lady Stars here, but there's a um, some Yiddish writing on the wall. I think strangely, in a 
where my high point has been uh, after breakfast this morning actually going into the shul and seeing a group of people davening shacharit given what we'd seen the night before by visiting Treblinka which following on from the Warsaw Cemetery where where it's actually preserved to be a museum in the Jewish community going to be wiped out. It's so to see Jewish life carrying on. Yeah, around 70 years later. Yeah, around 15 minutes away from my dinner was something that I found to be extremely powerful. Yeah, so there we go. Maybe you can give me what it was the difference that you thought you would make by doing these tours. I think that the, um, the reason I do these tours, you know, it's almost a, a mission after, you know, my father was a Holocaust survivor and it was such an important part of my upbringing and my life that I felt that it was something uh, that I had a great passion for. I feel by bringing um, not only the general picture but the personal element, it's something that bring it to, to the hearts of, of the people that are a part of the group. Knowing what you know about the background of Poland, and also given the climate, political climate today, how do you reconcile coming here and working in this country which has so many challenges? Well, honest, I come to the country to show um, the Jewish side of things, to show the Jewish story, and um, you know, when it comes to the polls, I, on the one hand, I, it's important for me to show um, the reality of what Poland was then um, in those days and the extreme anti-Semitism that, that was here in this country. On the other hand, there's a lot of positive things that are happening in Poland today. A lot of um, Jewish culture has been uh, developed, not just by Jews here, but by the government and by general people. And that's something that is important to show as well. How long have you been doing this for now? I've been uh, taking tours to Poland for about, I think it's 18 years, about three to four times a year. And how do you maintain your connection with what you're doing and stop it from becoming mechanical and, and, and clinical? It's hard for me to answer that question because it's such a personal thing with me. Um, then you know, that it just, I, for some reason I always look forward um, to coming back to the next group. A lot of it is to do with the group, you know, each group is very different and um, that helps me connect. And secondly, I promised myself that if it ever became mechanical, I would stop. You know, it's not my, uh, my wage, my job, it's uh, something I do, you know, been doing that 18 years, looking forward to the next group.
Well, maybe you're wondering if there's a footnote to this journey. Indeed there is. On their return, people did get together and many were able to share their thoughts and emotions about what they had just experienced. Though for some that was difficult and took maybe even weeks before they could talk about it. But a number of people have been asked to speak to societies and other groups and they found that indeed this can be a difficult challenge too. So they're working on helpful guidelines to the best approach in taking on such a task. And the experience of a civic group organising this study tour has shown that bringing such a diverse group together on a difficult topic can indeed be rewarding. Its success has shown what worked well and what could be done differently. So work is now in progress developing a template that could be used maybe by councils or other organisations who wish to embark on their own journey to Poland, so they too can understand the relevance of the Holocaust to the challenges of today's society. Thank you to National Lottery Community Fund for making this podcast possible. If you would like pointers to resources about the Holocaust and its history and legacy, or your organisation is interested in taking its own journey to Poland, we'll be creating a resource page on the JSCN website. But you can contact us in the meantime, just send an email to hello at jscn.org.uk or Google our website, Jewish Small Communities Network, and use the contact page there to get in touch. Now, if you found this podcast interesting, please do tell your friends and show them where to find it and ask them to listen. And you can even now find us on the Amazon Echo. Just say, Alexa, play podcast JSCN Jewish Talk. I'm Ed Horwich. You've been listening to Jewish Talk, the podcast for the Jewish small communities and anybody interested in Jewish culture and Jewish life.